Welcome to Safe Radio, offering hope, health, and healing in these challenging times. My name is Ann Bergen, and I'm joined by Jim Derrick from the Safe Coalition. He is the founder of the Safe Coalition, former president of the board, and now he is head of the whole family recovery program of Safe Coalition. The Safe Coalition is a nonprofit grassroots organization with the mission of destigmatizing uh, substance misuse, mental health issues, offering education, support programs, free of charge, no insurance necessary, open to people who are dealing with all kinds of pain in their lives, safe is here. And what I want to make sure that I cover today in in our guest that Jim is going to introduce in a minute is this idea of mental health and trauma and the importance of people being courageous enough to come and share their stories with us. And we have someone today who has some raw experiences and is uh, just determined to help others by sharing his story. So I'm going to turn it over to Jim to introduce our guest today because he is an extraordinary, inspirational man who is here to help us today. Thanks so much, Ann. Great to see you. And I am really happy to have someone who has become part of the Safe family in our studio today. Uh, someone that was introduced to me, I'm going to say it was about two years ago, at a really difficult time in his life. So I'd like to introduce our audience to Rob. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Ann. So Rob and I got a chance, Ann, to get to know each other around the office. Rob's in the office quite often. He's a member of the family, makes mm-hmm. coffee, uh, it helps out a little bit. And so Rob and I are talking. And Rob just opened up with me one day. I think we kind of hit it off. And, and I was asking him about his experience and, and, and sharing a little bit of mine. And what I realized, Dan, in talking to Rob, was the difference between Rob and I was what happened to us in our childhood and how we were born. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. And it was rather alarming to me to be looking at a man who's a little bit younger than I am, but not much, who, as I said to him, didn't stand a chance. And I don't say that casually. And I realized that, again, I was face to face with the fact that I had won the biological lottery being born into a cupcake town like Needham with wonderful parents who frankly coddled me and brought me up really, really well in good schools. And through no fault of his, Rob wasn't. And that was the fork in the road that literally set our trajectories in a path. And Ian, it's something you've been talking about since you've been an educator. Well, that's right. It's it's if we do not help people understand the, the effect of trauma, the pain, the wounds that young people suffer, they mask it in many different ways, but they cope with it in ways that are destructive to them and to their families. And that's why the more we call attention to it, the more we intervene earlier. And that's why it's so important that people share their stories, because the more we learn from people like Rob who have suffered this kind of trauma, the more we can do our part to make sure that no one else or as many people as possible don't have to suffer what, right. what he went through. And, it, and it's again, Rob, why I'm so we are so appreciative that you're willing to come into the studio and share your story. So, again, welcome. And um, uh, if you could, Rob, I know you grew up in Boston. Could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Sure, Sucker. Jim. Um, grow, I grew up in a tight knit Irish Catholic community, South Boston, um, altar boy, 
Catholic mm-hmm. school, CCD, whole nine yards. Uh, I was, you, some people might say it was indoctrinated into the Catholic way of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of cousins, I had a pretty big family. The closeness with my cousins was good. That was cool. That was like a relief. But my home life was a disaster. Um, I was being physically abused. And some people in the family kind of got the gist that that might be happening, but it was under wraps. No, nobody really knew it behind closed doors, and nobody talked back then. Right. Um, and this was as a very, very young Yes, um, I was I was getting smacked around pretty hard when I was probably seven, eight years old, mm-hmm. um, and it continued right on through all the way up in you know bad vibes, um, bad situations, very difficult abuse to for a child. That looking back on it, I don't know. I can't. It doesn't really. I can't comprehend actually most of it. It didn't make sense. There was no justification for beating a not. child. Of um, watching my mother get beat at a young age, trying to intervene and getting it worse and making it worse. So you can't, I, as a victim of that, as, I don't really like that word, but um, as a survivor of that, um, it, I just kind of coped, um, didn't understand it. So it was kind of, I, I kind of put it in a box and put it up on a shelf and, it kept happening and trying to live like a normal life, I guess you would say. I, I'm trying to act like nothing was wrong. Um, so I put on that mask. I I, uh, I just kind of hid it because nobody was nobody was talking about it. I didn't have any didn't know. I you know I I knew it kind of wasn't right because getting hurt like that wasn't cool. And I know other people weren't getting beat by their stepfathers. Um, can you can you just describe when you say getting beat? That was it, well, it was, yeah, it was it, pretty. Talk hor- a, talk a little bit because well, it was you know people don't it, understand it what was, that means. This, it was it was pretty horrific yeah. and, and pretty intense. And I mean, there's no, I don't know how to differentiate um, levels of beatings um, as far as what I was enduring was going. I, we're talking the belt and and the backhand and then graduating into an electrical cord, um, having, you know, it gets, it gets deep. Uh, you know, my brother and I were getting pretty severely beaten. Um, and by the time I was like 15, um, there, I, there was no relationship between my, my stepfather and myself or my brother, but we were all in the same house and uh, just trying to get away. Um, I was, I, at that point, I was drinking, doing drugs. I had mostly the alcohol, uh, but it led to whatever else there was that was going to help me get rid of this stuff in my head. So you had a feeling when you started to use an alcoholic beverage or, or, or a drug, you, you knew you were self-medicating. I mean, oh, well, at the time, it's like... I mean, uh, I say that as if you were conscious of it, well, but my point is the feeling was, wow, I can finally the, get some relief, right? Yeah, the feeling is, I don't know, the false euphoria of, okay, that doesn't, it's not bugging me so much now. I'll just, you know, a couple beers, ah, oh, good buzz. But I, I, the, I graduated from just a couple of beers to the whiskey to this to, to experimenting or just, hey, what's that do? Or here's a handful of these. Yeah. I was, at, let me go back, let me backtrack a little. At 15, I had an altercation with, with my stepfather. 
Uh, I ended up with a he was a pretty big, good size ex-Marine combat vet. Uh, I had no chance. Um, he broke my nose and and told me to pack my shit uh, stuff. That's okay. Uh, whatever. Um, That's okay. He 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 basically threw me out of the house. I was fifteen. I just turned fifteen. Uh, my mom being controlled by him had she had no no way of getting me back in. Um, I was literally. Had nowhere to go, clothes on my back, sitting on the back steps in the early morning as my mom's going to work. I'm asking her, can I come home? She's telling me, no, you can't because of my stepfather. At 15. At 15. My mother's controlled so much that she sure. won't, can't even let her own son back in the house from not even my biological father telling her what to do. Hey, Rob, you talked about the, de- I'm sorry. No. You talked about the development of a mask. And I think that's such an interesting um, <clears throat> metaphor sure. for what's going on. Because I can only imagine you're developing a way for you to be in the world, in school, around your friends. You're you're starting to develop a, a fake persona that you can put on oh. to sort of put up to the world because you must have been an abs- absolutely terrified when you were in your home. Yeah. I mean, there was time. Yeah. I, you, I didn't want to leave my room. I had a really early age, too. Seven, eight, nine. I, I was hiding in my room all the time. If I if I couldn't go outside, I didn't want to be around. I didn't want to be seen because that might entail getting hit. Uh, but again, it, my mom she loved me. She did. Mm-hmm. There was no there was unconditional love. Unfortunately, she was being controlled. So I'm on. A, so that was that. I'm on the streets at 15 with the clothes on my back. And so I, what what might somebody in the schools have seen from you? Like with that? Oh, did you have a mask? Did you did were you able to trying to fake it at school, or were you letting people know that you were in trouble? No, I didn't tell anybody what was going on. I didn't want to. Fee- I didn't want to come off as weak. Um, I was. I had to. I myself personally, I put the tough guy act on. Um, nothing bothering me, you know, stuff it away, all that, you know, don't deal. There was no dealing with feelings or anything. And, like and you must have been confused, almost like, what did I do to create this? This must be partly my fault. Or I'm, I don't mean to put words no, in your mouth. No, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, yeah, uh, the confusion was absolutely there. It was like, what? Ha- why? Why is this happening? What What did I, you know, it does what I did deserve what I'm getting? I mean, was it really that bad? The questions I, I was left with are what really bugged me. It was like, why is that happening? Why did that happen? What, trying to uh, figure out the situation, well, like, it just didn't seem right. Um, I don't see other kids with welts on them. I don't hear anybody talking about, you know, oh, yeah, my old man, he beat me or he smacked my mom around. None of that was happening. It was just something I had to put away and and continue on like nothing's happening. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm good. Uh, at school, I was disruptive. I um, I didn't like the rules. What what, what are you going to do to me that that I haven't already had done to me? I mean, you're not going to you're going to beat me. Go ahead. Right. You know, I'm used to that. Cool. So it's like I put yeah, I did put on a mask and. Um, I had lots of questions, and, you know, now I'm getting used to the terms childhood trauma, all that, um, you know, the post-traumatic stress at a childhood age. Uh, There's other things that happened, too. Um, There was sexual abuse. There was the physical, psychological. And then the tough tough factor of being on the streets alone at 15 years old, I just didn't know what to do. well, I 
played the tough guy out there too. I actually kept going to school. That's what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, did you keep going to school? I did. When you, that's I was, interesting. I was homeless. homeless. I'm living in a car. I was driving. I was stealing. This is, I've been convicted of all this. There's nothing new. Um, I was stealing cars and sleeping in them and driving them to school, going to class, grabbing lunch. And, you know, if the car ran out of gas at the school, I left it in the parking lot. So you're going to school. Yes. You're 15. Stealing you're cars. homeless, driving to school. Yep. What was that experience like? Were you, were, in, in a car that you the, stole so you yeah. could live in it. I mean, how yeah, did you well, take I didn't, care of your... I couldn't your, stay in the cars too yeah. long. And usually they ran out of gas and I had no money. So I'd have to steal another one. But like clothes and taking care of yourself and, and get I, going cl- to school. I know. I, I, um, I used to sneak into the Y and take showers. <laughs> I didn't have a membership at 15. I used to sneak in, like, you know, bebop and just act like you know and, you know, act like you belong and just do what you got to do. If somebody says something, you make up an Literally, example. Literally, you got your Ph.D. in street smarts. Yeah. At a very, well, very young age. Survival. survival. But yeah. just as an educa- from an educator's point of, of view, tell did any teachers recognize the pain you were going through? Did anyone see or recognize or see the pain behind your acting out? Or um, did anybody kind no, of see that along the I, way? I can't remember anybody reaching out to me. Uh, there was, at that age, there was no, there was no place to go. There was nobody in my area to, you know, I didn't know of anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't know of any programs or anybody to help. I had been isolated from my extended family, and my mom wasn't even letting me in the house. I kept going. I was all over the place getting in trouble. I, my tra- I traveled. <laughs> I had wheels, so I traveled. I was uh, down the Cape a lot, um, hiding out. I, I, was doing, I was doing crime to survive, mm-hmm. uh, little petty stuff, mostly mm-hmm. the cars. People like cars, too, so mm-hmm. I'd sell a couple. There you go. I want to remind everybody, we are speaking with Rob. Rob is sharing with us about growing up in South Boston and, and, and some of his childhood trauma to better inform us about the makeup of substance use disorder and mental health as as impacted by trauma. My name's Jim Derrick. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Ann Bergen. This is Safe Radio. So, Rob, you're, you're 15 years old, 15, 16, you're running around, mm-hmm. you, you've gotten into crime. Frankly, stealing cars to live in them mm-hmm. is heartbreaking. It's like, holy smokes, those were your shelter, it was your transportation, it was your freedom, right? I'm sure some security. Um, you, you mentioned earlier uh, off the air that, that, uh, that people prey on young oh. people that are, that are perceived to be in trouble and homeless. Absolutely. Um, this is going back, I was 15 and 85, I think. And um, that was tough. It, back then, I mean, not, not to say it's any, you know, they're out there, they're probably just a little better hidden now. But there's predators out there on the streets, mm-hmm. and they are just waiting for some young, fresh meat to prey on. And um, I had to fight that off. I had to fight the the criminal element. I had to fight the violence on the street. Um, it's the way the that's that's the underbelly of society. Um, different cities, different. It's pretty much the same. The names change, but they're out there. You got um, the survival tech, tech, tactics that I had to develop because of that, um, and also I just. You had touched on something I wanted to, the, um, the stigma. Oh, I wanted to touch on that, the stigma and the stereotypes going back to 
the trauma as related to substance abuse and, and the mental health aspect of this. Um, I didn't know at the time that I was so twisted. I just was trying to survive. I wasn't, I just wasn't trying to figure it all out. I was just trying to get through the day, you know, stay warm, put something in my belly, and not get hurt and not be taken advantage of. Um, my my substance abuse and mental health, they go hand in hand. I was trying to bury all the things that hurt that I didn't understand. And I did go to school, and I did stay trying. And uh, I finally got locked up as an adult at 17. So I spent two years on the streets before they locked me up. And right off the bat, they gave me five-year sentence. And, and that was no questions asked. Here you go, here's five years, and we're going to look at this other stuff, and you might get more. At what age? Uh, seven, just turned seven stuff. Related little, to, little, all little, related to this story. All it was, related. It wasn't something. Anything, I picked up charges of, you know, assault, battery, um, hmm. Things like that. I didn't. I was. I liked to run. I didn't like them. Put the handcuffs on me. My point being that they were all related to a direct line from being nine years old and getting your rear end kicked in your home. I mean, it's a straight line. Like I said, there I, was no. There was no deviation. I was set. I feel my path. It is what it is. You know. I. 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 Here I am now, and that's the kind of thing I say. Like here I am. Yeah. This is me. Yeah. Um, I, I, it all comes. I have no filter anymore. I'm done trying to hide anything. I'm done putting things up on the shelf. They fall down. I might still not understand what's going on with them. That's my metaphor. You know, I have yeah. the, all the files. Sometimes they mm -hmm. fall down and I got to put them back in the box and I might look at that one or two. But then I'm trying really hard through mental health uh, uh, aspect of things and the support of, of people especially through your coalition. The, the SAFE coalition has been like an oasis for me. And I'm going to keep you, I don't know why I, I keep saying that, but it is. Mm. It's like I'm mm. out there and, you know, I got to deal with all this stuff and I'm trying to maintain and lose, lose, lose my stuff. Mm -hmm. And knowing that there's someone there for support, knowing I can reach out and someone's going to get back to me or I just show up and someone's there and I get the help and support that I didn't have back when I was struggling. I mean, there's still a struggle today, but with the, peop with the people out here, like yourselves, trying to help, it's, it's wonderful. And I don't use, you know, flowery words much, but it's been awesome, really. Uh, the support, the help, I mean, the people, you people, might and Jim said it, I, I feel so overwhelmed that you say that I'm part of the family. That really means a lot to me because, you know, I don't have any other extended family. Um, I have great, great respect for everything that you, you've gone through personally mm -hmm. and we've talked about, and I think that's how we connect. I like... You're you're not, you're a straight shooter, and I'm I'm I try to be a straight shooter, and you've got some some deep grief, mm -hmm. and I've got some grief, so we can walk the same <laughs> road. Um, I don't want to get off track, but the the stigma, the the stereotypes, it's all bull. 
if anybody just kind of sits down and and I'm going back to I'm going to go back to when I was a kid. If somebody had grabbed me up off that street and said, "Hey, come with me. I got some. You know, it's okay here. You can be safe here. We can help you." That would have been, you know, that, I would have loved that. That's the question I wanted to ask you, because this is a problem in, in many of the, the particularly uh, young men we've interviewed over the over the last few years. They didn't come forward to, to tell anyone that they were suffering. They didn't go to a school counselor. They didn't go to a teacher. They didn't tell anyone that they mm. were beaten. And what prevents people particularly boys from coming forward and you know until you know not waiting till they're homeless what prevents them from coming forward what can we do differently is there well, anything it could be a lot of factors um, fear mm-hmm. fear would be a big one because I'm going to tell on my dad you know I'm going to tell on whoever's beating on me or, or abusing me in any way um, that's that's bad because if they find out nothing happens you're going to get worse so this fear. I'm talking for myself. No, that's, no, that's but why that's, I didn't tell anybody. But that, I don't but know. that sounds like that sounds like some of the stories that we've heard from other people. You know, and it's just you know we have to figure ways to reach people before they end up homeless. We have to intervene earlier before they're right. going through all this suffering. And how do we do it? You know, it's it's important. The approach. I mean, I would love to help. I mean, I try to share and help whatever I can do. Um, I, you don't have shoes, you can have mine. Mm-hmm. Being uh, that's a hard question because mm-hmm. you, you have every individual situation, you don't know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. To get someone to open up at that early of an age, it's really hard, it is, yeah. Um, because for one, I didn't understand going back to me, I could speak for myself, I didn't know I could tell anybody, mm-hmm. I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't really know where to go with it. I, you know, I, I, what do you do? You go to confession. I mean, that's how young I was. I was an altar boy, and uh, the things that were going on with me was like, all right, I don't know what to do. Who do I go to to tell? And what do I? And, we, and I also grew up in you don't talk. You, you weren't you, you. You just didn't talk, no matter what. You don't tell anybody nothing. You don't ever go outside the family. I mean, that was the way it was in my. You never talk. I know. Growing up, that what, was it. What happens in, a, in the house? Right, stays it stays in the house. house. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Sense of loyalty. Well, that fear, like I and said, fear. 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 I would say for me would be the made the first factor. I mean, there's other reasons why they wouldn't talk. I'm sure the fear, embarrassment. Um, I don't want to tell anybody somebody did that or this or that. You know, you, you don't. And they, I didn't understand it. So there's that confusion. Um, I think letting them, letting younger people know that you're there for them. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't want to talk right then, let them know there is a place for them to go if and when they want to talk. And just keep flooding the information, flooding, 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 flooding them with there is a safe place to go. And it couldn't have been a better name because <laughs> and you are not alone. I've got the coffee cup. Just waiting for the t-shirt. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rob, man, I'll tell you, there's so much there. And um, one of the things my son Jack uh, taught me through his experience, he used to say to me, Dad, be careful about judging people. I'd say it all the time. And, and there's something powerful coming from a 19, 20, 21, 23-year-old who had his mental health challenges, had his substance abuse challenges, 
but to see the way that he cared for others that were in his company was I, I really learned a lot. And to have Rob say what he said a minute ago is is very touching to me because mm-hmm. Jack, I'm sure, is and would be very proud of this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's alarming to me that there was a time in my life where I would take somebody like Rob and pigeonhole him as being bad mm-hmm. or be afraid of him and not be able to have a conversation. And one of the windows that Jack gave me, you know, being Jack's dad, it gave me a window into something called empathy. It gave me a window into something like, something about knowing somebody's full story before you judge them, you know, that we're all interconnected, that we're all human beings. And the thing that I, I just feel so grateful to have Rob, you know, in our circle, because his story doesn't define him. And, and that's really what the essence of this whole thing. Our stories don't define us. I remind everybody we are speaking with Rob. Rob is sharing with us his very personal journey through early childhood trauma and his battle with mental health and substance use disorder. My name's Jim Derrick. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Ann Bergen on Safe Radio. Can I follow up on a question? Because I don't know where we are with this. It's more out of curiosity. But... When someone um, has a criminal record because of all the pain they went through and trying to survive on the streets, that record goes with them. How much of an impact, when we talk about judging, are people given second chances? Now, I don't know this. I'm asking this only as when you go out to look for a job or you uh, you talk about stigma. I think Help that's an important this. point yeah. that Rob can speak to. Yeah. I can absolutely co- contribute to that, Ian. Um, that does follow you. It followed me. And I have an extensive uh, record. Um, it it really did last a while. Um, it goes way back. And it's followed me. I mean, obviously, it got me incarcerated. I mean, the record, the, the crimes I committed, the situations I was in, that I, the, the mental, I would tell you, um, I, it's all tied to my mental health issues that were untreated, unrecognized, or just stigmatized as this kid's just a bad apple. Um, like you said, Pete, there, that stigma is there. If it's not, if people aren't touched by something in their life, by they, they have no idea what it is. The stigma is there. They don't understand it. It's okay to just categorize it and move on with their lives. Until it touches them, they're unaware and they'll stay they usually stay with the stereotype until a family member exactly. a family member gets into mm-hmm. it or this or that but going back to your question Ian uh, refresh um, relative the, the, yeah. imp- second okay. chances with employment um, with anything uh, coming out of prison yeah, I was you know okay I gotta find a cash job because my record's right there I just got I, here's my I uh, <laughs> here's a funny I went to a job interview and I left my release papers on the table, but I still got the job because they were like, "Oh, he's not kidding. He really wants to work." So it, it helps to be. It was helping me to be encouraged. I did get a little encouragement to keep trying. I had a little. I have. I got married and I have a wife that stuck by me and really, you know, it. Nobody's perfect, like we said. There's been issues, whatever, but. I had a little encouragement, so is that. So, encouragement really helps, mm-hmm. but self determination, mm-hmm. integrity, those those traits that I got when I was little, and the fact that I don't want to quit, mm-hmm. and the fact that I did survive 
all that up to that point, and here I am now. Gonna, I'm not quitting. <laughs> you know, not it, I did a little. Uh, what's more than determination? What's the right word? Just stubbornness. Yeah, I see that in you, and and it's such a great quality. And I and and it is. It's that I, I'm not going to give up. And the other thing I want to make very clear because we started this out with an explanation of of Rob's upbringing and the trauma he went through. I want to be very clear about this. Rob has never, not even once, for one second referred to himself as a victim mm-hmm. he's ne- he never started with this story when i met him he didn't start with this story this wasn't you know this is something that i learned about him only having known him for over a year um and my point is this isn't uh for people that 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 may be listening i want to be very very clear about that because you don't see yourself as a victim no i i really don't jim i mean you were a victim of childhood it, trauma, you, for you, sure. Yeah, you can categorize. I'm not sure. I mean, it sucked. It hurt, uh, to say the least. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, victim's not the. I don't really use the victim card, but it was there, and it's the trauma and the mental health aspect of everything. I mean, there might have been some misfiring in my head already, but the way with all the confusion and I grew up with. I really do have some serious like issues, like I things that I've never dealt with, like um, processed. I've never processed them. And so. what I was referring to though is I met, you clearly you're a victim at as a young boy getting beaten. That's that's being a victim. Yeah. But, but what I mean is that I what I didn't hear from you when I first met you was hi, my name's Rob. I uh, I, I did some time in prison and and here's why. No. I wasn't responsible for that. You never, you never did that. You no, never, I, you I, know, I own my, yeah, yeah, what I did. yeah. But, but, but I'm saying we now know why. Well, that's part <laughs> of know? that's part of the story. Yeah. It's not the whole thing. Um, you know, I mean, I people there's this. I keep going back to the stereotype. People say, you know, the biggest battle is. Well, it's your choice. You can drink or you don't have. You don't have. You're picking it up. Nobody's putting it in your mouth. But the, for me, not to battle anything, but um, the choices aren't really there when the impulse is in control. If you, if the mental health aspect, like it's really tied together. It really is. But you're so right. We can't address the stigma if we don't address the cause. It's not making excuses. Right. It's not. It's it, right. At this point in my life, I can say I'm not making excuses, and I really never did. Yeah. I, it, it, I would tell people, and I don't bring that up. I that's not. I don't introduce myself like that. I I just I'm going with what we got to do, and it, yeah, I tell people this is the this is the amazing part is I tell people what's been going I mean I'm little aspects this is one branch right of what's going on with me um, but I'm free to tell you I'll talk about it I just I haven't processed it all and that carries with me in my head with everything you know it's not prevalent with every action I take I know. but and it doesn't drive me anymore but at one point in my life I think I was just trying to run away from all that mm-hmm. like that didn't happen that didn't happen you know did and I never did know about being treated or talking to anybody talking wasn't part of the deal so I mean you go through the, the the way I was brought up and what happened to me and going to the can, getting out, I'm still not talking. And, I mean, that's just the way it was. It's hard to open up and, and, and share, but 
I don't have a problem with it any, anymore, especially not with you guys, because you're helping me. And if you say jump, I'll say how high, because you've been an integral part of my recovery with or, or just my process of dealing with things. I know I got somebody, I got a shoulder to lean on with yeah. Jim right here. Mm-hmm. And now I have no Ann. <laughs> so it's just, let's keep the circle of wagons keep going. And you got um, one of the cutest little kids I've oh, seen in my Finnegan. life. I have I have a bunch of cute. Finnegan. I know you do. But I've met Finnegan. Finnegan's and I can, the latest I can vouch for this kid. Um, he's adorable. Yeah. Um, Rob, you, you so... Bringing it kind of okay, yeah. Bring me back. bring it. No, bringing it uh, up to current. Um, we're talking about supports, and certainly, I'm. Thank you. I'm. I'm so glad that that it's working for you with Shavlin and the rest of our staff Shavlin, at Safe Jen. and and Jen and everybody. And it's. Um, I'm glad that. What else is working for you? What What do you find is important for you in order to maintain your recovery? Hmm. Um. I think for me, it's being connected with like-minded people and mostly it's trying to stay positive okay and reaching out expressing expressing how i feel Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i didn't even know i had feelings until not too long ago right the only one i knew was anger you know and that's how i dealt with everything that's how boys particularly deal with depression anger oh clinically depressed yeah um but trying to you know, trying to see the flip side of the coin, I guess. You know, having hope. I have been hopeless. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, like, mm-hmm. what's the point? Why? What's the point of going on? But holding on to that little bit of hope, just trying to dig and find that thread that's going to keep me together today. Uh, and it could be anything. It could be a picture of my family, my my children, my mm-hmm. wife, my uh, just not focusing on the negative, not going back. And I don't want to sound like I'm beating the book or anything. I'm not touting any different program. They all have their benefits. Take what works for you and leave the rest. Mm-hmm. Finding, staying hopeful. Another key thing that I heard you say was connection. Yes, mm-hmm. connecting. I mean, if uh, I'll go back, I was not aware if there was anything out there for me at a younger age. I wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it wasn't. I don't know. Maybe the the stereotypes were even more prevalent then, but I wasn't aware there was anywhere to go. When I was a little kid, it was the YMC, the boys club, and you know the park. But that was it. There was nobody there saying, "Hey, are you okay?" Mm-hmm. Um, now I think. I was. I've been introduced over the years to different programs, AA and A, other other programs. I've been in. Uh, like I said, I was incarcerated. I've been to uh, detoxes. I've been to uh, dual diagnosis programs. Um, that's to cover. That was to cover the mental health aspect and uh, get on some medication. So that that's been helpful. Um, it's all about the individual, I believe. But for me, connection. Um, Feeling like there's somebody out there other that, that understands that I can talk to mm-hmm. or I can just go like with safe. I mean, you guys got the loft now. Um, literally thinking about moving in. 
<laughs> so am I, by the way. I was up there all weekend it's doing gross. a. Yeah, I didn't want to leave our right. new space. Yeah. So uh, now I'm thinking. I was saying early and flood just flood the place yeah. with information. Get it out there. That's if I think that is like for me. Like I didn't even know that safe existed. Mm-hmm. Until something crossed my path. Yeah, I, I remember taking your phone call a right. long time I, ago. I can remember where I was sitting. I, I think it was Turning Point and Wall. Yeah, you're right. Corey O'Brien, Turning Point yes. and Wall. Corey, if you're listening, thank you. And thank you again, because he continues to refer people. And um, you're right. We need to we need to be in the community. I, will, I do want to say that the Franklin police in particular mm-hmm. carry our... Um, literature with them and I and I also want to second what you say about connection about safe for my own story because I, as I share with people all the time I don't know where I'd be without this group mm-hmm. of people including and uh, at safe uh, because unbeknownst to me I was part of a community that was forming around me that would literally save my life mm-hmm. over over time and it wasn't just when Jack died it was even prior to his death uh, as I ca- came to realize that a I wasn't alone B, there was no shame or stigma in my situation. And C, there was always someone there to do what you said. That's connect with. It didn't mean that somebody had to suddenly fix Jack. That was up to him. Mm -hmm. It didn't mean all my problems vanished. It meant that I knew that I was heard, seen, and understood. Mm -hmm. And accepted. And those four things, Mm -hmm. right? They're game changers. Absolutely. I agree. Um, Acceptance. Having someone welcome you uh, someone smiled when I walked in the room it's like huh <laughs> right they're not you know looking at me sideways <laughs> can uh, I ask one final question and and along the way you know when we speak about trauma and everything mm-hmm. that you went through there's always shame and guilt and everything about mistakes you made along the way oh. have you reached a point in your life where you have this self-compassion and that you can look at this little boy and say mm. you know what it wasn't your fault and that you know all the all the the things that i overcame that you have this this compassion for yourself is that i mean that i think people need to hear that is that well um i don't know if i'd use the word compassion yeah. for myself yeah. and acceptance that mm. it wasn't you know i didn't maybe deserve what i got yeah. realization that um i'm better than that mm-hmm. As far as, you know, going back to being that little boy again, I don't know. There was a lot of times, you know, I cried myself to sleep a lot. Um, Not to pull pull the pity card out. And I can feel for that kid that I was, I guess, hard to bring emotions up about that because there's still a lot of confusion there. Sure. And I'm just getting, you know, just becoming aware of emotions. I've stuffed those pretty hard. I have a lot of regret, mm-hmm. remorse, my actions, my inability to do things, my failure to do things. Um, I'm not proud of me. I'm not. I know that Jim says, I, you know, people say, you know, you should be proud that you made it this far and everything. But I've made some pretty dumb choices and decisions and mistakes. And people around me have paid for it. And even today, I'm not proud of things I've done at all. You know, there's a lot of things I, I'm sorry for, but sorry doesn't cut it, um, and words don't make 
things happen. They don't make things change. So acceptance for me, I, I try to accept that yeah. uh, that I'm, this is me and move forward. But I've been trying to bury so much for so long that it sneaks up on me. And so addiction and mental health, is it, it's a constant battle, struggle. It doesn't go away. And my biggest thing is I really wish people would understand that the addict is not trying to make it personal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not try. I don't believe they're trying to intentionally hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. I, I, for myself, was caught up so much in the, the depth of my sorrow and, and everything that I hurt people and not intentionally. It, the impulsivity, the, the need to bury the feelings I didn't understand. It's a hard thing to battle your own mind sometimes. But that's why it's it's the, it's important that you're sharing your story because what you're saying to other people who went through it is, okay, there is going to be, those feelings are natural. There is going right. to be all of this remorse right. and guilt. Acceptance is the key. Acceptance and it's hope and it's going hope. forward and not giving up. Just everything you've done and taking action and it might be little small steps and finding the people to connect yes. with and not giving up and that's right. what you are and that's why... Story so important, right, Jim? Absolutely, and and um, I also know that recovery is not linear. A lot of people think, mm-hmm. "Oh, the job's just over." You know, you get into recovery, and then that's what I thought oh, originally. No. And you just go to a ninety-day program, you're done, and you're all set, and you go on about your life. Yeah, it's you, a lifelong struggle. Yeah, you don't graduate. Right, it's no. a continuous, continuous right. process. The word that comes to mind when I look at you, Rob, one of the words is courage. Mm-hmm. Courage is the ability to walk through fear. And um, I think you have that in all capitals, letters. Uh, as I said before, it's humbling to hear your story. Very gratifying that you share it. And Anytime. I, I'm, you know, I think about your future. I mean, what are your goals, hopes, and dreams for the future? My goals for the future, I guess, is uh, just try to provide the best I can. Stay focused. Stay on track. Um, don't go backwards. I mean, yeah. I got to keep it simple. Like anybody, I've had a lot of hopes, goals, dreams, and some work out, some don't. It's the way of life. That's it. Uh, just keep, I just try to stay focused and not go backwards. Don't let the anything that I'm trying to still deal with drag me backwards. Keep moving forward. I, I might not get where I'm going, but I'm on my way, I guess. Well, you know, one of the things that strikes me in is that Finnegan, the young little Finnegan, has a role model. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean no role models are perfect. No. None of them are. In fact, I would argue that it's in the imperfections. It's it's what you do with the imperfections that defines you. It's not the imperfections. And I think that Finnegan's got a hell of a role model. I agree. Yeah. I'm with you there. So, Rob, thanks so much for sharing your story. Um, yeah, Thanks for being part of our family mm-hmm. at SAFE. And I'm really looking forward to, to working with you for years to come. Oh, me too. Thank you, brother. Thank you. And so, for my co-host, Dr. Ann Bergen, my name's Jim Derrick, saying thanks for listening to Safe Radio, and we will see you next week.